Hey, it's John Wilskin. This is another Deming Profound podcast, and I've got an old, old friend here. We go way, way back. Uh, uh, and Rob, you want to go ahead and introduce? Well, let me actually let me tell the story first. So, I, you know, when I first sort of moved over from all the heavyweight Tivoli stuff I was doing, I started blogging, and and uh, there's a couple of people just started sort of noticing what I was doing. You know, Damon Edwards, people know. Uh, you know, um, Mark Hinkle. And I think somehow you got, you reached out to me. You, and I, you all I remember. You still I, a Tivoli trainer. Oh, it was still Tivoli. Oh, so we go way yeah. back. Because you yeah. wanted, I wrote a song for you. Maybe yeah, you but you had, you had that blog. Oh, the IT management when, guys. Yes, with Michael Cote. No, that, even no? before that, you had a solo thing. Oh, what was it? God, but you were writing stuff. So okay, okay. and I yeah. reached out to you. My memory gets you well Yeah, we had this whole cool thing going. I'm like, oh, man, the IT skeptic, he's a cool dude, and he knows who I am. This is pretty awesome. Yeah. Anyway, I'm getting oh, ahead of myself. Oh, Rob, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So um, Rob England yeah, uh, retired the IT skeptic yeah, in 2000 and a year ago um, after 15 years of blogging. But that. I'm in New Zealand, right? I'm in, on the last rock on the planet, and and um, and so I used to sit in a little three foot or four foot by four foot office in a village on the coast of New Zealand and connect to the world. It used to do my head in on yeah. this new with this new thing called blogging, you know, on this fairly new thing called the internet, and 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 i was exploring it and i found you somehow anyway but there was this guy called john willis writing this cool stuff and we connected and and that was you were still a tivoli trained probably that was way way back but the thing yeah, i loved about you, were, you which was i still want you to give me a little more bio but like you didn't take any bull crap and you let the one thing about the it scale that's the, i guess why i like like I dug you so much early on, like you would just mm-hmm. call them out. You know, if somebody, a vendor was saying this, it, then you even had that character. What was the character you had? Oh, um, um, uh, the, the, there were several characters, but there was the, the folk singer called rambling, rambling kid. Real at him. Who, but you had one that was Smokey or something that called bull crap on people. Or didn't you have one that was. Like, yeah. 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 There was Smokey that, um, I'm forgetting it. Gosh, oh, I'm not allowed to say that. Um, can you bleep that? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting it all. Um, uh, yeah, it was um, the like the Smokey the Bear. Yeah, thought, yeah, the oh, Smokey. God, oh, uh, Chokey the Chimp. That's Chokey what the it was. Chimp. And he would just call out. And that's crap, actually, that's yeah. must be how we got. Because I had just moved over um, from, I think it may, well, I don't know. But I was like calling out the sort of big four, the BMCs and all those guys. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing your stuff about like, oh, this guy's calling them out, man. He's like not letting them get away with like our product does this. You know, you'd be like the chokey guy would say, wait a minute. It was pretty awesome, actually. Well, I just retired from Vendorland. So I knew all the tricks, you mm-hmm. know, and 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 recognized all the. So the vendors. And the other one was, of course, the sort of idle. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do we call them? You know, but the idle uh, military industrial complex that trope. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, calling that out as well, because I was deeply immersed in that community. So it, the, the, the blog got me a wonderful network of people, yourself included. And, 
Um, and I was throwing rocks at all, all sorts, calling bullshit, and so yeah. including agile and DevOps. And you didn't like that very much. We got we had a we, one year. I mean, we, we're if everybody who listens here, we are dear, dear friends. Um, you know, Rob will bring me a little unique. You know, we meet at a conference. He brings me some little unique sort of chocolate or something. So he's he's just a sweetheart of guy, even though he looks like a tough cat. But, but for one year, we we got into it a little bit. Like, oh, but yeah. you know what? It was funny. So you were questioning DevOps. So the thing I loved about you is you questioned everything. The IT skeptic concept was, I ain't going to just accept just because everybody else likes it. Mm. I want to figure it out. And I was frustrated with you because I kept trying to explain, dude, this DevOps stuff is good. And then one day you sort of said, okay, I get it. And then I was mad at you, but the thing I realized, wait a minute, he's the IT skeptic. There was no other way he would accept DevOps other than taking a long haul critical, you know, critical thinking analysis of it. So, so at the end of the day, I was like, geez, that's what he does. And like, why was I getting upset at him? So yeah, we had and our now, and now he's finally got it. Yeah, yeah. So so it was you and Gene and Jez were probably the three key influences that eventually got through my thick head and <laughs> And I had my sort of road to Damascus moment. <laughs> um, the, it was anti-fragility. It was Jez writing about anti-fragility was the straw that well, that was finally the, I gotta admit, the that was the thing spread. that really got me mad. I would write these like, you know, four-page explanations of why it was good. And he just said, you know, he he made a recommendation, like he wrote a four-line thing about anti-fragility and uh, anti-fragile, you know, misentalops. Mm-hmm book and you're like oh i get it i'm like wait a minute <laughs> i've been but, but, years trying to get him there but yeah but i quote you all the time man and i, I quote know. and i quote you mostly from when we were debating okay yeah there you, go. there you go right so the arguments you used on me i quote all the time I, um uh, one of my favorites is listen we can get a fix into production faster than you can phone around for your emergency cab meeting right uh, yeah, was yeah. one of the things you said to me years and years ago that stuck as an idle guy and i use that on the idle listers all the time um and yeah there's a number of john willis quotes that i use that, and they all come from when we were talking about yeah, this. yeah the debate i mean debate is cool right like hmm. the best I, ideas are forged in fire that's totally well, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, and I still want to circle back on a little bit of your career, and I want to talk about some of the cool stuff you do now. But <clears throat> you, you know, you had a lot of like respect and 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 a deep understanding of idle, idle, sorry, idle service management before sort of DevOps came into vogue. Mm-hmm. And there's always been this debate of the, you know, I think when DevOps came in, it was like agile, you know, or I can. Idol is stinks. Ding dong, idol is dead. Yeah, he was <laughs> but you know, and then Ben Walkwood talks about, hey, wait a minute, you know, have you really looked at the good parts of idol? I mean, I mean, the dogmatic, the sort of the way we were approaching the, you know, the the at least as you said, obviously was wrong, but clearly there was, was some good stuff, right? That is still mm. has value today, or none at all. Oh yeah, and I think. I mean, there is a cultural divide of some kind that would be interesting to unpack even more, but yeah. and still is, you know, that, that service management likes to make things structured and orderly and not necessarily creative and dynamic. You know, there is that some sort of really deep cultural tension there somewhere. But um, um, I didn't want, you know, can I do a promo? Um, um, Eiffel 4, man. And 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 uh, it, it took them until 
2019 to suddenly realize there's something called agile. So yeah, hey, yeah, they're yeah. only yeah. they're only two decades behind the game. And and to realize there's something called DevOps. But um the high velocity IT book, Mark Smalley, is is just Eitel's view of DevOps, man. It's just they've finally caught up. And 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 I guess that's to be expected when what you've got is a, a generally accepted practices framework. You're documenting what is mainstream. So right, right. You're right. it's always going to be a lagging indicator, but Jesus, it's a lagging indicator. Yeah, it was pretty lagging for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, uh, but even so, yeah, I think there are really good ideas in there. The way I, uh, it's hard to articulate, but the way I usually try and do it is to say automation, right? You can only automate that which is defined and repeatable. Right. Yeah? Yeah, no, totally, yeah. And and what's idle all about? It's all about making processes defined and repeatable. So there has to be some sort of crossover there somewhere where these people are about standardising work and it's standardised work that we can automate. So, so there's knowledge there about how do we find the standard component of our processes that that are amenable to being repeatable transactions that we can then yeah i mean it's, it's not always the wild west and I, I don't want to go too deep in the wardley stuff but like he simon wardley has a structure mm. that shows you sort of uh you know the evolution here right so you do always have from the, the yeah the pioneers and the town planners the pioneers. but you know the, the other thing too i was just thinking you said this like in the early days of devops you know, people think of agile and DevOps, just beautiful marriage and everybody gets along. But I'd go in a large corporation and sort of agile cultures and all. I mean, they, they were firewalls. I mean, not, you know, not, you know, IP firewalls. They were firewalls for getting DevOps in an organization. Mm. Yeah, so, so I don't think people either realize that now because it is now sort of a love affest and a congruent discussions. But back when I was first going into large places, I, I'd have to go to battle with the sort of the agile coaches in a large corporation. And it would, it would do, it would do a lot of heads in if I said that in a lot of ways, because of that standardized repeatable thing, mm-hmm. DevOps is intellectually sometimes a lot closer to idle than it is to agile. I, I, I agree with that because I mean, first off, the like it's always been lopsided on operations for good mm-hmm. or bad, right? And then you know the way idle originally was, you know, so I first got introduced idle back in. Um, in the mid nineties, you know, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, back then it was more of a vendor thing, but like, I think somebody described as we got to sort of idle version too. And like, I forget all this, but mm-hmm. was said that, you know, when you argued against it, this way pre agile, pre DevOps really, or sort of agile in, as mainstream, you said like, if you have chaos, something like idle, at least whether you like, whether, mm-hmm. whether you sort of like it, love it or hate it, it, it was a prescription a step function to you know sort of you know remedi- remediating chaos and so in that sense it saved this place and, and yeah and the, the the little black and white book right from gene and kevin and and george right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um uh, uh god what visible visible ops basically you're talking about visible right? ops yeah, yeah yeah i mean that was very idlish oh yeah no they were they came for that i mean gene and those guys were not into devops at all no, no. You know, I don't and, want to pat myself on the back, but it was at South by Southwest in like 2009 or 10. 
where yeah. I met Gene and he was still on the fence on DevOps. And I said, dude, mm. think of DevOps like a lighthouse. So he was ready to go battle like me and you would. And I said, think of DevOps as a lighthouse that brings operators back to shore. And he just like <laughs> dropped his drink and said, I get it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I, I, I like to, another thing I like to say about ITIL is intellectually, there's nothing wrong with ITIL. The problem is when the bureaucrats get their hands on it. Yeah. And I even, to really be dangerous, say the same thing about Scaled Agile Framework, that probably intellectually there's nothing wrong with it. But, yeah. oh, my God, when the bureaucrats get hold of yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And you're in trouble. Unfortunately, that like that is sort of a, a, um, a behavior of humans, right? Like you can take mm. anything and, and then like if you sort of, as it evolves, I mean, one of the things that DevOps has been pretty successful. I mean, I would I'll go back to attribute. Patrick DeBoer had a presentation, and it's great. It's one of the better presentations about why DevOps has been successful, and it was in um, Austin. I think it was thirteen, but I, I don't know. I'll try to put it in show notes. But he talked about how he he stewarded DevOps, and mm-hmm. he was, you know, he wasn't like a benevolent dictator. He just put. He tapped the guardrails all the way along the way. So it never, for the longest time, it had this sort of like, what is DevOps? Well, there is no definition, mm. you know, but at the same time, you know, so it had this freedom to evolve, but it, he put some guardrails on it, soft guardrails. And, and I think that's why it's been incredibly successful for so many years. So. Totally. Totally. You know, another and area. Really, that I, well, go ahead. And it so represents, I mean, one of the things that I, I, where I work most at the moment is what I would just call new ways of working or better ways of working. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and and DevOps so represents that in the way that it is emergent, collective, unstructured, totally undefined. It, mm-hmm. It's such a modern way of creating a movement. With, with it, it, it's it's very modern in that sense. That yeah, no- yeah. No, I, it was certainly born out of that. You know, depending on how you how do you construct the evolution of DevOps, which you know I've tried to do, but there's different variants. But it was you know mostly born out of emerging hmm. operational things. You know, so that brings me to like the Deming podcast. We talked a little bit before. You know, so um, you know, you know, what are your thoughts about sort of Deming's relevance now? And, and certainly as the conversation we just talked about, things like Idle and DevOps and, and Agile, um, what are your thoughts about him, you know, in, as we sit here in 2022? Yeah, well, as I was saying to you earlier, I wouldn't say I'm an academic and, and terribly versed in any of the great thinkers, but I, um, oh, you you're know, a great I reckon, <laughs> thank you. You say this with just things. Um, uh, I recognise, um, you know, Deming and, and Drucker uh, probably as as two of the biggest influences on the stuff we do, Cherry and I, and um, uh, still, and and you know, when you do go and read him, he was unbelievably visionary. Um, I don't know enough about him, as to say, in the work he did. I sometimes get the feeling that he was as much communicator as original thinker. I mean, he drew a lot of ideas from other people, right? And then 
communicated them brilliantly. Right. I, I don't know enough about him to unpack how much of that was actually his original thinking and how much came from Taishiono and how much came from Stewart and how much came, you know, he drew on some, he stood on the shoulders yeah. of some yeah. amazing giants as well. But man, did he put it out there. And, and so he gave us this amazing body that we can just, you can pull demon quotes for just about anything and they're all just nail it every time. Yeah, he was really good on sort of like the thing I've learned in, in my study of this man is that he, right, he didn't suffer fools, but he was very particular about the words he used. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason his quotes are so powerful and sometimes, like a lot of times, there's debate on the misinterpretation of them. But even mm-hmm. in the sense, there's some that where people, like the the um, you know, in God we trust all ours. Let's use data. This just came up recently. Um, that is a brilliant quote. I think if Deming was alive today, he says, "Yeah, I think I did a good job with that quote." And then he'd say, "Dot dot dot." But mm-hmm. what I really meant, you know, was that you know that there's things that are unknowable. There are things, there's a whole deeper conversation. And the last point that you, the earlier point you made about like, you know, he, you know, he was clear about where he got his information. He was a sponge and, you know, he was like this incredible ingress, egress machine, you know? So, and he was, you know, he, you know, he basically short gave him a lot of information and he learned when he went over to Japan. So he was, but again, to your point, he was incredibly good. It can tech, you know, we see this in our industry. There's certain people you can hear five people explain something to you, and then you go to some conference and you see this one person. Like, I was going to ask you about Ken Evan, and then we can talk a little bit about that. But like, he, like that was a good example. You know, I was trying to figure. I'd listen to this person talk about Ken Evan. I looked this person, and then you did some writing about putting it in context. And all of a sudden, like, oh, now I get it. You know, so I think that was Deming's superpower, really. You know, among other, like he was a humanist. There was other great things about him, but he was—he was. I'm not going to say ahead of his time, but he was voicing what is now so obvious. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, and it's still—it's still relevant. Yeah, yeah no, I think we're relevant, and you know, I mean, he. The biggest part of his portfolio of knowledge, I mean, it wasn't the only, and he, 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 you know, he thought about psychology, he thought about system thinking, he thought about epistemology, but the biggest sort of um, tool in his two bag came from Walter Schuett, mm. and uh, which was the, the the variation, the statistical bias control, that all that stuff. Mm. And I, I was just listening to somebody the other day, which said that in 1980. He made a comment that it would be another 50 years before anybody really understood the impact of what she was saying. It was 1980. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, no, it's good stuff. Do you want to talk about that? Some of the stuff you did with Kinevin, is, is it still sort of relevant in your idea? Because I, 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 I really enjoyed some of your, some of your books and, and things that you've written because you would put them in real context. One of my mm-hmm. problems with Kinevin for the longest time was, you know, I, I could only see theory with it. I couldn't find, and it probably was out there, but I couldn't find anybody who could practice, give me a practical way in a way that I understood of why, like fundamentally if you, to me, as somebody who likes complex thinking and all that, like you're literally like, this is cool. Okay, where's an example? Mm-hmm. And I and I struggled there, and I, I and I don't remember exactly the stuff you were doing, but you you put some good stuff. It was probably standard plus case, the, but um, and I did yeah. a three dimensional view of Kinefin that you did. people yeah, yeah. loved as well. Um, 
Yeah, because Dave Snowden is a super cerebral, yeah, 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 super intellectual thinker. The author of Cannabin, so you have to. It makes my head hurt. Yeah, you know, just even trying to follow him. And so I struggled, right? I was doing a thing called Standard Plus Case ten or twelve years ago, about standardized work versus oh, yeah, non-standardized yeah, work. Yeah. Right? There's this yeah, crossover yeah. back to what we were saying, and and I came across this thing called Cannabin in my research, which. Then was quite new and new to me. And I, yeah, I really hurt my head trying to get my head around it. So if I am any, you know, if I have any particular skill, I think it is to try and come up with layman's language for things. Yeah. And so, yeah, I tried to articulate Kinefin in, in more practical terms and to draw, I drew this three-dimensional thing that sort of helped too. And Dave actually Dave Snowden actually revised it for me and said, oh, wow. no, no, it should be like this. Um, and then they've come up with a much, much better 3D version in the new Kinefin book that came out recently. Yeah, I saw that. I haven't read it yet, but yeah. Yeah. That. So on page 200 or something, there's a 3D version which me and Martin Berg and Chris Bromley all had a input into oh, from various awesome. different previous that's 3Ds to make this. And mostly it's Martin Berg. Um did this beautiful new sort of illustration 3D. Um, yeah, so trying to make it practical. It, and and connect, so Kinefin for me, I've been on a long journey. I actually want to rewrite that Standard Plus case book because I've learned so much about Kinefin since and it, it mm. will actually have a more prominent role in the rewrite of the book, which I'm halfway through. Um, I think it is an insight into a fundamental of nature because we're all trying to come to terms with complexity and complex systems thinking. And right. and and I think one of the things about Deeming is that he didn't have all the language, right? Like a lot of complexity thinking dates from the 90s and the late 20th century, the butterfly and, right, right. and the Amazon chaos right. mathematics. And mm-hmm. I mean, none of that was available to Deeming. And and so I think he would have loved and absorbed. Yeah. And- oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Your accent is killing me there, buddy. Damon. I thought you were talking about, like, Damon. What has he got? Damon. Oh, Deeming. Deeming. Yeah, yeah. No, Deeming. I got it now. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, De- wasn't it available to Deeming at the time to use that language and some of those concepts of complexity? They just didn't exist. He got some, but they were evolving in parallel with him. Oh, right? they're in there. You can see yeah. it. You can see yeah. that if he had been around right, right. once we had chaos theory and complexity. Or, or practical and, implementations and of these things, right? He, he would have just used that well, language. Well, he somebody was telling me the other day, there's a guy, he works for a big corporation and we've had like these calls and he can't get approval to come on. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever talked to, but he can't get approval for this big corporation to come on the podcast. But, but, you know, we geek out as if we're podcasting and he, he's, you know, there's a Deming has this uh, system of profound knowledge and it's the theory of variation, yeah. right? It's a uh, theory of psychology and it's theory of knowledge. But it's usually referred to not as the theory of systems, it's basically appreciation of systems. So I think that goes in line with your point. Like, you know what I mean? I think at that point, he there probably wasn't enough body of work or that was sort of calcified. Where he, like it, like theory of knowledge exactly. was epistemology, pragmatism. Like that was I can call he could call. Yeah, no, I think you're yeah. I like so when that. I read when I read his stuff, I'm like. He knew this stuff, or they knew this stuff, right, right. 
But yeah, we hadn't just evolved this new set of concepts to frame it in the way that we can now when yeah, we yeah, talk yeah, about we, complex adaptive systems. And, yeah. So we're in the beginning of being able to at least put a, a framing mm. around the conversations. Yeah, no, that, that's a really, I like that point a lot. Yeah. We've got new intellectual models we can use that he didn't have. That's right. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And then he probably would have gotten into nasty fights with Snowden anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of would have yelled at him for calling you know one of the quadrants. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, you know. yeah. I'm sorry. So I exactly. So yeah. um, so that is my that's one thing about deeming is 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 that is that when you read it, you have to then layer upon. I think some of these new models, um, and I'm not as fond as you are of the manufacturing. Like I'm get a bit worried about um Yeah, we could go statistical there. variation and things. Just just because that whole standardization is only some of the world thing. Um and I'm still finding my way there. I'm still learning, I'm yeah. still exploring yeah, I mean, it, it's that all space. open debate and and you know, there's other things. I definitely want to get into some of your sort of new stuff to talk you doing, but I mean, in short, and I just I did a podcast with Gene lately. I think there's a couple of things. I think people misunderstand. It's like, like that quote, you know, um, in God we trust, all others bring data. But there's one version of that. But then there's the go read this the the whole section in one of his books or two of his mm. books, and you realize there are a whole. The other one, I guess, the more sort of prominent mis, misunderstood one is the. Uh, it, it, it can't manage that it can't manage what you can't measure. And, and and like Demi didn't really mean that because he had a lot of stuff about managing unmeasurable and unknowable data. Okay, so there's already a conflict. So here's my point you know, so that when I think when people read a line in one of his books that says you must reduce variation. I think they're not sort of catching that, like he thought you understood a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, yeah, like, I get that. There was I get a, that. There's a lot. You were to using it. advanced statistics. You were looking for patterns, models, um, you know, common versus um, special cause. And then one last piece is the other thing I think people conflate when they talk about I can't still see manufacturing economies completely translating to uh, uh, sort of knowledge economies. You know, and, and I, I think some of that is true, but I think people sort of over rotate on how much of it is true. Mm. And and that, you know, in, if you read the Toyota supply chain book, when they talk about the four VLs, and I had a long conversation with Gene about this, they are really clear about the, the distinction between variety and variation. And I think people conflate mm. variety and variation. And they're, they're these subtle things, but mm. but variety is people say, like in knowledge work, you have to have sort of lots of experiments and and so you can't like you can't have this sort of reduced variation at all costs. Well, one, Demi never said reduce variation at all costs. And then two, I think Demi understood what they learned probably from Demi is that in Toyota supply chain, they had a clear distinction between the ROI of variety. I mean, you don't just experiment to to no cost. I mean, to <laughs> excess. I mean, it's a point. But there's but there's a sort of I mean not to get crazy but like a Taguchi stuff if anybody knows Taguchi loss function right it it sort of gives you this variance that isn't just tightening in it's like figuring out the investment of a sort yeah. of anyway that that's just uh, I mean there's a longer conversation on that but I think there's a 
when people just say, and I'm not saying you say this, that, you know, sort of, I'm not sure Deming's right about variation. I, I have to question, like, what do you think he actually No, no so what I get that, it, it's the applicability. So what I'm trying to understand at the moment is dealing with complexity, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. and VUCA is a very trendy term. We use it a lot. Uh, but the idea that in the real world, all systems are, in fact, complex adaptive systems, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that therefore everything is a network of interacting agents. Everything is is a value network. And, and so the idea of a value stream or a value chain, to me, is something that is localized. But if you zoom in and if you introduce a bounded system, you can create a flow. And and so a continuous delivery pipeline, a fact production right, factory, right. Yeah, yeah. right? That's a bounded system, right? It's bounded by process and it's bounded by concrete. And it and so that the work does actually flow in a stream. But if you zoom out to a macro view of any real world system, mm-hmm. it's it's always a network. It's always something much more complex. Right, right. And 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 one of the things we know about complex systems is you can never know them as a whole, right? You, mm-hmm. you, and so I just feel, and as I say, I'm not sure about this yet. I'm still mm-hmm. trying to understand myself. But I just feel that a lot of these ideas of theory constraints and um, and you know variation and variability and six sigma and um, and, and a lot of these flow ideas, to me, work really well when you have a well-bounded local system that can be treated as a flow. Yeah. And we've just got to be careful not to try and use it in contexts that are well, not well-bounded linear flows. So, like, Six Sigma, right, that's a whole lot of conversation on itself. Yeah, I don't want to – I, I, I hesitated to even bring that yeah, up. Yeah, no, I know, right? and I, I don't get it, but but I think there is more determinism in Six Sigma than TLC. And, and, and so mm-hmm. – but the thing that you have to understand about Deming, and, then again, you know, I, and I'm not saying you say that, saying this, but, like, when you sort of – create a sort of a focal point of Deming and variation, the system of profound knowledge is indeed... No, he got this stuff. He absolutely yeah, he, got complexity. He said you cannot totally. yeah. understand variation without understanding theory of psychology, without understanding the appreciation mm. system mm. and the theory of knowledge epistemology. So he constantly was like trying to bang in everybody's head that, and he called a profound knowledge specifically mm. like for mm. tight words. He wasn't like being egotistical, mm. like I'm mm. the most profound man in the universe. He said that profound knowledge meant that you had to understand the relationship between psychology, between variation, between um, epistemology and and, mm. uh, and systems. Mm. And in that case, he is always sort of looking at, you know, trying to break the hole into the hole. And so, like, in other words, mm. you know, I mean, even the Senge stuff, Senge wrote an apology letter to him mm. after he wrote his first book saying that, you know, like, like, Oh my God, like I didn't realize he wrote Deming wrote him a letter, right? And Deming's letter said this is like and he said, Oh my god, that, that's my book. That's the fifth discipline. You know, mm-hmm. so so all this is intertwined. Um, the only thing about right. TLC is what's interesting is Golrat did spend a lot of time talking about global versus local optima, right? Mm-hmm. So so there again, um, 
Yeah, I, I think it comes back to Rob, like what you talked about earlier is if people get dogmatic or they sort of isolate in on like this is the way I do it, you know, then you can like six sigmas. I think six sigma fundamentally. I mean, I was a black. I don't. My wife was a black belt. I was a green belt. In all honesty, at GE Capital, everybody got a green. It was a everybody gets a trophy. Your green belts in like in GE Capital is like here, your starting point. Like it's like a white belt in karate. But I understood it, and they just totally did a terrible job of implementing because it was like mm. the the police. You know, what's your sigma? What's your process? Mm. Show me the chart there's, right now. Well, no, I'm actually going to the bathroom. They, no, no, no. There's Show me there's the, chart the right. there's the bureaucrats getting their hands on a good idea again. And actually, I mean, that's my point is that like I think that um, there is the sort of pure intention of things with TLC, and and again, I think. Um, but it's anyway. to me, what I think it's deeper than that. I think that what I'm saying is that the whole idea of flow optimization is potentially a limiting mental paradigm if we're not careful where we use it, that, that our systems are in fact not flows. A lot of the bigger systems aren't. You can only find I, a flow in local points within the system. And otherwise it's a network. It's more like the analogy I use is it's more like a, an Everglades, right? Where the water's moving, but it's moving in all sorts of directions right, and right. actually determining what is the direction of flow is really hard. It's not a stream. It's yeah, the yeah. swamp of network of co-creation, value flowing in both directions, constantly dynamically changing. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're spot on. I mean, that's why I like I like having conversations with you. I guess the the thing I would and we'll have to sort out because now I feel like okay to continue this conversation, you got to reread my friend's James Urquhart's Flow Architectures book. Because I think that's how he describes. Have you read well, that? I don't book? mind so long as we understand that we've found a context where we have a bounded flow. It's a factory. Yeah, no, no, I know you're, you're obviously you do DevOps. You're sort of a certified DevOps. You've done a lot of DevOps. So, like, you don't hate, <laughs> you know, continue. No, so I, I think it works yeah, if you're yeah. careful about checking that you've got yeah, a yeah. flow system. I think I'm going to just leave a footnote and a hanger for this one and go back. But I think mm. James Urquhart's new book, basically, He's written a book about event-driven architectures, and I think he's the leading. I saw that coming. Yeah. And um, he, um, by the way, we're doing our the forum paper this year. I don't know. You're going to be, be involved in the forum papers, Gene's. Uh, no. no, you're not going to do it. Um, I, always, do, I always look for them eagerly. Yeah, when they come out, we're going to do event-driven. They're the finest body of knowledge on really DevOps is. in the world. People yeah. don't know. I could put a link to that there. Like there, there's such a wealth of free in, and by some of the unbelievable resources that are putting, and we put. You know, you've been on involved. It's like people, I mean, there you take you put like seven or eight people on one project, and they're some of the mm. smartest people. And people just do it for Gene. You know, it's what Gene mm. Gene is this person people want to work hard for. Mm. Totally. And uh, yeah, oh, it's incredible. Anyway, this is a good conversation. I guess let's um let's dive into you know I I've been trying to follow your stuff, and you know you're you're obviously um, staying busy. You're always thinking ahead of the game. Um. So what is the game now that you're sort of like, is there, is there any way you can sort of summarize the way you're seeing the world now and, and the problems well, the, that you're trying to solve? The world calls it business agility. Mm-hmm. Um, not That's wild. We're about done. The, yep. You got it. No, <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Not wild about the term. Um, uh, we call it human systems adaptability. Okay. Right. So the humanistics and the, the whole values, Growth, evolution, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. teal, blah, 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 right? That whole uh, enlightenment 
right? The, the, the Institute for the Future is calling it the second enlightenment, and I'm not sure I disagree, right? It's the step change in enlight- social enlightenment. Um, so the whole humanistic, I love um, Gary Hamill's book, Humanocracy, mm-hmm, wonderful mm-hmm. book, great book. Uh, it's one of those books where every three pages I'd have to drop it and go and write something. Yeah, that's funny. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, So human and then systems, absolutely understanding complexity, understanding flow, because it has a place. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying protection. So understanding flow, understanding complexity, um, all the systems thinking, holistic thinking, um, and then adaptability. but carefully avoiding the word agility uh, somewhere. And if you can tell me the origins, but there's a wonderful thing I've seen come up a number of times, which is adaptability is agility plus resilience, right? So to be adaptable to a VUCA world, to to the constantly accelerating rates of change in the world, which I firmly believe in, Mm -hmm. um, that you need to be adaptable. And that means, first of all, being small a agile being able to change what you do very quickly but also being highly resilient to deal with the mistakes when you try to change and to deal with the blows to be anti-fragile right to deal with the blows that come from the world and so i don't know where i saw it first i've seen it a number of times but that adaptability is agility plus resilience. Yeah, resili- I love that. Yeah, the resilience is a big thing. I mean adaptability is that I mean that's key. Um I think agility maybe we overuse you know because i, I yeah, like that's right that it, it's become a yeah i really like adaptability right capacity you know adaptive capacity and um, mm, just mm. Uh, you know even sort of even in terms of skill sets jay bloom who i work has an incredible way of describing um adaptive capacity in terms of your skills but but the thing i mm. think um probably the best body of work in this conversation um, really comes from John Osbar, Dr. Woods, and Dr. Cook. Yeah, right? For resilience, totally. Yeah, and and but 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 again, not to say well, they're resilience. These guys are adaptive. I mean, they're, no, no. they're, they're their project is called Adaptive Capacity Labs, right? Exactly. So, so to them, and again, this is like you know, I'm trying to describe. You know, Dr. Woods is probably it is the most preempt. The, the, I wonder if that's where I got it from. Yeah, you know, probably. I mean, he's – but here's the point I want to make. And, I, you know, like it's definitely one of the major sources. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. certainly Decker talks about it, but Decker's really Decker's really good at sort of telling a story in the common man. Yeah. Um, you know, Look, the the, the, the stellar like, report just floored me. Yeah, yeah. No, that's – you know, I mean, you were talking about – Because to me, that as an ITSM guy, as a service management guy, yeah, I was like, these guys are reinventing service management in the stellar report. Oh yeah, no, they do. Doing. I mean, they focus on they really focus on incident management, narrowing in. You know, John, I love John's favorite. My favorite quote with John is, um, you know, incident are incidents are unplanned investments. Yeah, that right? was one of the things that just I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah. no, I think, and and you know, if I had to summarize, which is dangerous for me to do, to summarize, John Richard and and Doctor Woods, is that. I don't think they would they would like accept that there's a difference between the term adaptive and resilience. Like they're sort of intertwined. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? They, they totally, kind of mean the totally. same thing. You know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that's a very layman's version of like if you read, you know, go to their blog and you can read some of the stuff that I mean, if you want to mm. really hurt your head, you know, try to read some of Dr. Woods's papers. But 
but certainly mm. um, you know, John tries to explain. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware I'm using resilience in a very narrow sense and that once you start talking about anti-fragility, that resilience is agility. And yeah, they're totally intertwined. They're totally, yeah, yeah, I get that. And, res- and, 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 and intertwined with all that. So actually one of the interesting things I've, uh, you know, I, I've sort of stopped worrying about it, but I used to frustrate the heck enemy that like Decker and Woods and John and, um, and Richard Cook would literally just not accept the work of Spear and Rother. You know, oh, that's lean stuff. You know, they don't, you know, they, I mean, you know, behind closed doors, they would say, yeah, they don't get it. Right. And I, you know, I tried to do that thing with Gene where we had that two and a half hour thing. I don't know if you saw it. We got, we got, um, you know, it was a great thing. We had Dr. Spear, we had Dr. Cook and we had Sidney Decker and we did sort of a Charlie Rose, although I, you know, I don't, I'm not, like Charlie Rose is not a good dude, but um, but we used that kind of style, and it was great. It was two and a half hours, and at first they were sort of like didn't agree with each other, but after about an hour they were like finishing each other's sentences. And I just wanted to prove the point that both of you, both groups, are talking about. I mean, not everybody in Lean talks about comp- understands complex systems, but Doctor Spear and Mike Rother do. And I was trying mm-hmm. to convince Cook and uh, and Decker that they're saying the same thing you're saying. Oh, no, they're lean. I'm like, dude, they're saying the same thing you're doing. And I think, you know, Gene and I pulled it off. It was a mission accomplished near the end. Oh, know. damn. So it's about think, the overlay is complex systems. There's totally. So, yeah, the problem with lean thinking uh, uh, or, with, or those lean people is where it is too narrow, where it's just thinking the whole world is flow and is simple linear. Yeah, I, think I like and, this idea about flow. I mean, you got you got me now sort of. You sort of like now I got to go off and do a little bit of unplanned research. <laughs> um, I, I, I I used the analogy somewhere a while back in New Zealand. We have the braided rivers, uh-huh, which uh-huh. are the big, wide gravel pan rivers where, yeah, it goes from the mountains to the sea, but the channels are constantly changing and it's a complex web of channels. And every time there's a flood, they're all new channels. Right, yeah, yeah. It's not even like your oxbows in the US where it just, makes a new single channel yeah yeah. it's a braided it, it's just it looks like okay. you know there's there's a hundred channels at any one time all over the place and and so you've got your mountain stream which is a nice simple from here to there flow yeah, very yeah. clear yeah. cut then you've got your braided river which is still pretty generally a flow but still you couldn't map the detail of it at any point in time because it's constantly changing and then you've got your everglades where yeah, you can pretty well tell that water's coming in over there and it's going out to the sea over there, but it's pretty yeah. hard to tell when you're yeah, in the Everglades, in, right? Uh, yeah. Any given time, you know, it's sort of the, mm. the quantum experiment right there. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah so, no. The, um, so, that, so that's, to circle back, that's what we're doing is yeah, human okay, systems okay. agility. And, um, and, and Do people that, get it? that's the get, fascination. I mean, that's the, here's the biggest problem, right? Like, I can go into a leader and I can sort of, I, I think I, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to really craft this thing that I want them to understand. And, and sometimes, you know, they sort of smiling, got it, John. And, and I go away and like a month goes by, a month goes by. And it could be that it just sort of rolls off. But a lot of times I wonder if they just never really got it in the first place. And, and I, mm-hmm. I, I like, I think to me, that's, 
our biggest problem, you know, I work with Andrew Clay Schaefer. He's incredible. I work with Kevin Bear. I mean, I'm on a team with Kevin Bear, Andrew Clay Schaefer, and Jay Bloom. And Jay Bloom's the smartest of all of us. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like we go in and we tell all these people, these, you know, like I sit back and I listen to Jay Bloom explain something to a C-level person. And I wonder, like, are they not getting this? I, okay, so uh, let me go one more step then mm-hmm. that um, – Let's talk about my wife, right? So Dr. Vu, Dr. Cherry Vu, I met five years ago and um, she had just finished her PhD in public policy. Okay. And we, she was off to go work in government. I'm like, no, come, <laughs> come work with me. And she said, I don't know anything about what you do. And so she studied what I do and um, we became management consultants together she now she's vietnamese obviously cherry boo and in and influent she's native vietnamese she, she's doing all her work in vietnam we started taking these cool ideas to vietnam oh wow and i'm now learning from her big time and what i'm learning from her to your point mm-hmm. is that cherry understands all these things we're talking about but she hardly she doesn't tell them much. She's very practical to them. She just says, do this, try that, mm. do, right? And and they experientially discover this stuff. That oh, okay. Yeah. When she tries to give them the ideas, like you say, they're all going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but she's very much about just start where you are and, you know, experiment mm. and experientially try these things. And they're doing her clients are just doing the most amazing stuff that um, we're podcasting next week on Friday to talk about it just to, to a local Welly podcast, mm-hmm. but it's global. So anyone can jump in um, on meetup. I'll give you the link to that. Yeah. yeah we'll put it up on the show. And, um, but uh, cause it's all in Vietnamese behind a language barrier and um, the business agility Institute. We did an article in their emergence journal a little while ago. About, but so people don't really know what she's doing. But can I give you a couple of quick examples? Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, we are working with one of the biggest banks in Vietnam, and um, they've had like integer multipliers in their increase in revenue in the areas that are working with her. They're two, three, five times the revenues. The, one, one of the areas she worked with, they met their annual quota in a month, right? So, She's just doing it, is what I'm saying. She's just getting in there and doing it. And it's all about um, empowering teams and allowing skills, not roles, and, and, and fluidity of work and experiment, explore, and servant manager and flip the hierarchy and, you know, all these sort of humanistic things that we're familiar with in the big C culture you know, are part right. of DevOps, Right. Uh, and that's where it all came from. I mean, I shared it all with her when right. we first met. Right. Uh, and and or oh, there's a real estate agency uh, had about forty people, and Hung's a lovely lady who owns it, but she would just give anyone a go. Someone would say, "I want to sell real estate." Okay, come on board, right? right. You're mostly on commission. You get a small monthly retainer, but you most. And so she had 42 people who were selling very little. And, and um, we just allowed them to self-organize 
and and took the whole management layer out and um, they were creating fluid teams and working away and suddenly boom they're selling all this stuff and a bunch of people left they they changed the commissioning structure to pay everybody and not pay the sales people the superstar commission this is a damning prime idea you know they totally, totally. It's all straight out. Of, and, and and so a whole lot of the prima donnas left and said, if I can't get the huge bucks payout because yeah. I'm the super salesman, I'm out of here. And, and mm-hmm. Hung was like, okay, bye. And, and, and then a whole bunch of the people said, this is a brilliant formula for a real estate agency. Hung, we're leaving. And she rings Cherry up and goes, all my best people are now going off to start their own agency. And Cherry's like, great, good. All right, you know, excellent, allowing them to grow, stay in touch. So she kept tight working relationship. So now there's all these, uh, there's now several other agencies working this way and they all collaborate to pass mm. work between each other. Oh, wow. Hung, is, Hung had a baby and there was all this stress of having her first baby and trying to shape this agency. So she went from 42 unproductive people to now she's got about three. Mm-hmm. And she's selling as much stuff as she that's, used to with forty-two people. She's got rid of the big offers. Great collective story, yeah. Because right? now it's yeah, a, she's now everybody's it's, sort of working together, and it's you know, pure teal, man, or green, right? Just below, but it's straight out of the yeah. Lalu playbook that people who could have been her competitors are, in fact, her collaborators. Oh, wow, uh, yada yada. It's just the most beautiful story, and of course, it's hidden in Vietnam. So I'm trying to surface this stuff. Yeah, yeah not good. No, mm. I think. Um, but the big I learning think, from Cherry is that she she does teach theory, right? She runs theory courses, right? Right. But really, she drives them to the behavior. She says, "Come on, let's do stuff. Let's have an open space. Let's work out what we're going to do. Rocker, rocker, rocker. Wham, wham. Experiment." Like, I'm going to make some wild sort of guesses here, but like I think one the idea of. Um, coming at it there's a i think it's in um blink or tipping point with malcolm gladwell where this guy comes in and he um it's like every year they have this massive um war game game of navy ships like big auditorium and this guy comes in and he basically breaks all the rules but there are no rules so he mm-hmm. basically wins the whole thing because he his strategy is like the, right. to kill off like 70% of his PT boats, you know, which no army would do. And, uh, and he wins and they're all furious. Like you can't do that. And like, where's the rule book? They, and so he wins the first year. He actually he never done it before. So there's probably some of that with Cherry where she didn't, she doesn't have all the sort of memory muscle or the things yeah, that totally and comes into it. She looks at it, learns from you and says, um, and then I wonder if there's, you know, again, not sort of, there are like certain cultures that really do accept that do this, do this, do this, do this. And if you do yeah. it right in a way that enables them to do this, things are helping them learn. I can see that combo. But again, that's just a wild, wild guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I didn't mention is that she's not a nobody in Vietnam. Okay. So, oh, so, that so is- she, she has the, the yeah, um, yeah, I don't know if you had the old joke. I think you're old enough to get this. She's not been. We had a. It was a commercial for EF Hutton. You know, when EF Hutton talks, people listen. You know that kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. Totally. She in New Zealand, we say mana. 
which is like prestige, not prestige, but presence, respect. And yeah, I mean, she has mana. She used to be a lecturer at the uh, Institute of Public Management, which or what, I forget what it's called, but it's kind of where all the senior civil servants and politicians and party members all go to learn to be civil servants. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. It's like right. Singapore. They have a professionalised okay. civil service, right? And so some of the most powerful people in Vietnam have had this small woman at the front of the room That's funny. telling oh, yeah. them what to do, right, in the past. And and so <laughs> a lot of – she has connections and, and she has built her own companies in Vietnam in the past. She's been okay. a CEO and she has <laughs> – degrees in accounting and law in Vietnam. So, you know, she's coming from a position of credibility. Right, right. It's definitely. Which I can't match. And, yeah. um, and, and and so she she has a particularly advantage position and, and also to be a woman who left the country and went into the PhD overseas. And, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. I think it'll, <coughs> it all adds quite up. Quite a specialised The meta position. point is trying to find that way that actually can help people learn for themselves. Um, mm. so anyway, I think, you know, I, I've been trying to, there are these conversations where I'm like, I got my choice. I can split it into two parts or, um, and I'm trying to figure out what, what do people listen who listen to podcasts? Are they okay with, uh, an hour and 10 minute or do I get, so anyway, but at this point I was going to say, um, and we, we shall do this again, but, um, how do people mm. reach out to you and find you if you want yeah. to find you? Oh, absolutely. Um, teal unicorn, we call ourselves okay. now. So tealunicorn.com is where we live, and there's a lot of the stories and the stuff there, and there's a contact page there. Or I'm very active on LinkedIn. Yeah, definitely. Well, my friend, I can't wait till we get to see each other in person again. Yeah, man. Um, there's a pent up. You know, one thing I, I, I was sort of upset about, I came, for years I worked for myself, right? So travel's got to be very sort of, uh, you know, it's a very sort of structured way. Somebody's got to pay for it. Then I go to work for Red Hat. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to be able to travel around the world. They're going to want me to travel. And the pandemic hit. So, you know, we're going to You did a bit of work for one of my clients here in New Zealand. Oh, yeah. I love those guys. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, and they're and so we might have to get you up to Vietnam sometime, man. Oh, I'd love that. Oh, my goodness. If that, as soon as this thing's over, man, I, like, I'll owe you like. I don't know what are your favorite whiskey or wine. <laughs> We're hoping to get up there in May. As okay. Soon as May. Just let me know if there's a way that makes sense for me to. That's one place on I I have never been, and it's mm. sort of a bucket list place to go. So definitely great place. Yeah, I'm hanging yeah. out to get back there. I'm sure. All right, my friend. As always, awesome having a conversation with you. Totally. You take Good care talking to you, man. All right, bye bye. Thanks. <laughs>